It's our last episode this week of This Week in the CLE, the news podcast from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. We'll be taking July 3rd off for the holiday. I'm Chris Quinn here with colleagues Chris Warnowski and Jane Cahoon. We expect Laura Johnston will be back in the house next week. I hope you have plans for relaxing weekend. It's going to be hot. I'm going to be shooting off fireworks. Okay. (laughs) Don't burn burn the house down. I won't burn the house down. Don't put your eye out. Okay. Let's get started. What is City Hall saying about the claim this week that the Justice Center was not breached during the May 30th protest and riot, which flies in the face of what the police chief told us? Police Chief Calvin Williams, of course, a few days after May 30th, told the editorial board of Cleveland.com and the Plain Dealer the Justice Center was breached. We talked about this earlier this week. The sheriff made a statement to county council this week that that's absolutely not true. Chris Warnowski, what is City Hall's reaction to that? Uh, it's a big, fat no comment. The administration uh, of uh, Frank Jackson refused on Wednesday to say whether it stands by uh, the chief's uh, contention that the demonstrators actually got into the Justice Center building during those demonstrations. And to give some background of what has actually happened this week, on, on fr- last Friday, we, we published a story that was related to a bunch of video that the county had released to us and the city and the police. And, and so we got all this video and none of it backed up the claim that, that people had, had got into the Justice Center during the demonstration. Then on Tuesday, the Cuyahoga County Sheriff said, like, no, that didn't happen. Um, and he said, if, if, if it had happened, it would have been bad. If, if police hadn't been there, they would have gotten in and, and, you know, they probably would have wrecked the place and set people free, which, you know, it was another. Well, comment. they wanted to set fires. <laughs> they wanted to release inmates. But he was real specific that people got in. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, it, it was, uh, you know, it, I mean, it was something that people were. You know, when he said it, he, people were like, really? Like He it, hadn't it, heard it, that. Nobody it, had heard that before. It was nobody the first had time had it come out, right. Right. No one got arrested for that. You know, if you if you go and you look at all the charges, you know. So up to this point, you know, and, you know, unless the, the sheriff is being dishonest, then, you know, we have to sort of assume that, that this didn't happen. So, you know, we've, we've asked the city and we've asked the, you know, them to say, you know, what, why was this claim made? And uh, nobody wants to talk about it. Well, it matters because they've used all of this behavior they claim the protesters had to justify attacking the crowd in unprecedented fashion by shooting civilians with tear gas, pepper pellets, and either rubber or wooden bullets. We still don't have an answer on that. And And if these things didn't happen... It reduces the justification for what they did and raises many more questions about whether police actually escalated the violence rather than simply responded to it. And I was kind of surprised that given what the sheriff said, and they, look, it's the sheriff's job to protect the Justice Center. It's the deputies right. are the first line of defense. So if the sheriff says they tried to get in, but my guys held the line, you got to kind of believe them because his guys are the ones that are there. I was stunned, really, that we did not get a straight answer yesterday. You know, I, I mean, if it, it's one where the chief could have said I was misinformed, but I mean, he he said it. He I mean, he's on the record as saying it. It's been used as a justification for what went down there. We're owed an answer. Right. And to the sheriff's credit, 
he, you know, he also did admit very early on after this that they were unprepared. And he just right. flat out said we were unprepared. So, you know, if you take that level of honesty into account, you know, that kind of, you know, it, it makes what he said this week a little more believable. Yeah, and, he's the credibility right now is very much with the sheriff and the idea that the place wasn't breached, which is why uh, the the Jackson administration's refusal to address this by claiming it remains under investigation. Right. This tracks, uh, you know, a lot with, with, with it's something that happens a lot with law enforcement in these situations where, you know, when you think of, you know, the spooky outside agitator claims and the, and, you know, all of the ways that they try to make these things seem a lot more nefarious than they are. You know, what happened here and what, what happened in a lot of cities in the United States is a lot of really unheard, frustrated people did what unheard, frustrated people do. And and then here, you know, you had a handful of people who were like in it to, you know, do some damage and, you know, do a little looting. But, you know, comparatively, we did not have a lot of the you know, the upheaval that a lot of And and look, the city, unlike in other cities, Cleveland bottled it up quickly. We only had the one night and they, once they got things under control, I mean, they were a little bit over the top in the curfews and things, but it, but it stopped it in its tracks. It sure would be nice if we had a independent body that would hold hearings to get at the truth of this. Oh, wait, that's city council's job. I wonder where they've been. Right. My own son is a police officer who was there, and he's the head of the committee that would do that. So it's not really surprising we're not getting them to do their duty. So this week in the CLE, should Ohio Governor Mike DeWine close the bars to stop the spread of the coronavirus? And will he? Jane Cahoon, Jeremy Pelzer did a nice look yesterday at at what's going on with bars. Other states, of course, have shut the bars, seeing them as the the major source of spread for the coronavirus. A whole lot of younger people are there. They're not wearing masks. They're speaking loudly to be heard, spewing virus all over the place. What's the deal in Ohio? Well, Governor DeWine has a briefing scheduled for today, and his spokesman said closing the bars is not on his agenda. So, you know, we're, we're seeing these spikes here. We're hearing reports like out of Put-in-Bay and other places where people are going to bars and then they're getting sick because they're not following the guidelines that the governor laid down when he let them reopen in mid-May, which is, you know, social distancing and wearing masks when you can, sitting down when you're drinking. I, I was I was a little bit surprised at the way uh, Dan Tierney just slammed the door saying not happening because you would think they'd be a little bit more open-minded. They've got a problem. This thing is surging in Ohio. We had more than a thousand cases for the first time since April yesterday, and it's looking pretty likely that we'll set a new record one of these days, the 1,380 we hit when they tested the jails, which was a very artificial record because the jails were we're just spreading it like crazy. You know, and so with that on the on the run, you'd think they would say, yeah, we're thinking about that. We'd rather not do it. But, you know, we have a lot of options we're considering. Or, and instead, know, it was just like we're not doing it. <laughs> yeah. Like other states have shut down the indoor bar service. Like I think Michigan right. just did that and said, you just keep it outside. Which one expert told Jeremy that that would go a long way to 
to help mitigate the spread. But he said he's not closing them, at least today. But, you know, will he say something like maybe put down a few more restrictions? Doesn't sound like oh. it, but maybe. I don't know. Well, he could order mask wearing as the Dayton uh, government did yesterday with their ordinance. Uh, although it seems unlikely. It seems like since he reopened the state, he's, he's decided I'm not going to be heavy handed in trying to stop the flow of this virus. We're going to do it by counting on people's goodwill, by giving them the benefit of good advice and go away. And as, as Chris Wernowski has noted on a number of occasions, since Amy Acton resigned as Ohio health director, we have not had a health director at the governor's briefings. The governor's related the numbers, but we have not had a scientist standing in the room talking right. about what's best for Ohioans, which is a little bit surprising. He's had some doctors. Yeah, you he's, know, had some of he's had a couple guys virtually from areas that have been hard hit. But if you think back to the way Amy Acton dealt with this, it was in a much broader scientific approach to how we need to stop this as a state. Right. You know, her appeals were really appealing too. you know, she she made a passionate case. And that that seems to be missing now from those briefings. Yeah, Governor Mike DeWine, bring back Dr. Amy Acton. We missed her. (laughs) Can I just say one thing really quick here and then we can wrap this up. What's so maddening about this is is we're we're waiting until we have a big problem as opposed to looking at states that already have big problems and why they have big problems. Like you can look at Florida and Texas and Arizona and, and say, wow, that's bad. And how did they get there? And we know how they got there right. and we're not paying attention. I mean, it's, it's the information is right in our hands and, and we're, we're playing this weird arithmetic game with our hospital capacity and our, deaths versus, you know, people who are recovering to nip this in the bud. And and what it comes down to is I, I think a lot of the business community doesn't want to shut down again. I think But but, that, know, but we're not even talking about that. We're not being talking about shutting down. We're talking about surgically precise strategies like, okay, bars are a problem. Let's deal with bars and or masks are needed or and we're not even talking about that. And look, the numbers, right. you talk about math. Let, let's put the math in perspective. Three weeks ago, our 21-day average was in the 300s. Mm-hmm. Yesterday, we had more than 1,000 cases. Right. I mean, this is, the math is not good of what's going on here. Right. But, you know, it's, it's you know, you hear the echoing sound of patriots filing lawsuits in Lake County. And so it's like, all right, well, we're not going to try to impede anybody's rights or tell all of these man babies what to do with their masks and 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 honestly it's it's you know all of this childish behavior about these people who who just don't want to do anything to for the betterment of the people that are standing next to them come on like we we need you know we had the adult in the room for the most part throughout this whole process and how that has changed so rapidly in 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 a matter of weeks you know, is part is, of it, it though is a lack of a unified message nationally. I mean, you got a president that is scorning mask wearers. He was making fun of Joe Biden again for wearing a mask in a gathering. And when you have that kind of mixed messaging coming from the national government, it does make it hard. So every state does it differently. We don't have a unified approach. 
And and that's sad because we did really need national leadership on this one. It's this week in the CLE. How much need is there in Cuyahoga County for rental assistance for people who lost their incomes during the coronavirus pandemic? Chris, we had expected that this would become a problem as people lost incomes and their rent became due. What did we find out this week? Right. So this was going to be the the second sort of disaster that comes out of the uh, coronavirus, which is the the expected wave of evictions and uh, people who can't pay their rent. So there is a, a nonprofit in in Northeast Ohio, uh, C- CHN Housing Partners. Um, open the application process yesterday uh, for people to get rental assistance. And as of yesterday, they had 226 people who submitted and 862 people who started the applications within their system. And those numbers don't include the 1,400 other inquiries the agency received uh, from referrals uh, from the city of Cleveland and the 211 helpline that's run by the United Way of Greater Cleveland. So, um, and that was just, you know, that's day one and pre-day one. So, you know, I, I think as word starts to spread, you know, I don't know how 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 people in, who need this assistance, how, how broad the messaging is and how people are getting wind of this, but this is, I think it's going to, the, the rate of this is going to continue to climb. Be but there's up. nowhere near enough money to, to help them all. And Cuyahoga no. County released a staggering figure for the rent arrears each month. It was in the, what is it, 40 something million dollars? Or, yeah. It was really high. So what happens then? I mean, you know, I've, I've seen all sorts of people calling for legislation to ease it up, but landlords have mortgages to pay in a lot of their buildings. So if they're not getting rent, they can't pay their mortgages. What's the answer? Or isn't there one? There, I don't know. And, you know, you're starting to see uh, there's a lot of back and forth over whether you directly help the landlords or whether you put the money in the hands of the renters so the renters can take care of the landlords. And and what's on the horizon, I think, is going to be a, a sort of battle over who gets whatever money the government is going to provide for this. But again, it's it's one of those things where, you know, we should have been addressing this a long time ago and and the the sort of pittance the federal government threw down to the states that are throwing it down to the local communities and to the nonprofits it's small compared to you know what larger businesses got and so i i just think that whatever has been provided for this is not going to be near enough to to deal with the problem and so bear in mind we've restarted eviction court so <laughs> you know, the process on that end has also started. So Right. And if you're not paying your rent, you really don't have much to say. John Oliver did a pretty good segment on this over the weekend, although he he really didn't deal with the idea that a lot of the landlords are leveraged on their buildings. And so it's just not in their power often to forego income because they'll lose the deeds to their property. It's a, it's a tough one. And right. it's such a financially tenuous way to make money, you know, and, and you're all it takes is something like this to really kind of knock that account, that whole economy. You know, when you think of people who, look, and we're not that far removed from the last recession, it was all based on this kind of, you know, real estate speculation. And that's the other thing we're not talking about here is eventually we're going to see a wave of foreclosure because it's, it's, right. we're talking now about people who pay rent, but for people who pay mortgages who don't have incomes coming in, 
there's a little more lag time there than with rent. But but, but, but we had but you know in what was different in this in this pre recession that we're kind of in right now. This I mean we're kind of in it, but you know it doesn't really feel like it yet. You know you had the the Airbnb economy that was hit, and you had you know, all those people who invested in condos and, and, and properties that they were and nobody's using that stuff. And so should, we should be girding ourselves for a, a couple of waves of, of real estate really being devastated by this. And, and right now it's weird because the interest rates are so low. We're, we're technically, you know, what people say is a buyer's market. So, but we'll see if that holds. Yeah. It's just, this is the first sign of how bad it could be. And it, and it was a bad sign. You're listening to this week in the CLE. What does U.S. Senator Rob Portman, a diehard supporter of President Trump, have to say about the growing scandal involving Russia putting bounties on U.S. soldiers? Jen Cahoon, Rob Portman often figures out a way to stand by the president while trying to navigate controversy. He spoke up this week in another way where he's trying to thread a needle that you might not be able to thread. What did he do? (laughs) Chris, I think you just summed that up perfectly. <laughs> what he did, he he said that Russia should be sanctioned if these reports are verified about the um, paying bounties to the Taliban for for killing U.S. troops. But he he drew a distinction between a bounty program and the Russians offering assistance because he said we know we already know they've been offering assistance. But he said, but if there was a, a bounty program, you know, he called that outrageous and something we should respond to. And then Did he speak to the idea that that is growing. New York Times originally reported it. And there's there's evidence. It's true that the Trump was briefed on this and did nothing <laughs> about it. Did he address that at all? Here, here's the attempted threading of the needle part. He uh, he said that he believes President Trump and Vice President Mike Pence when they said they were not briefed. He said, I take them at their word. And um, that's that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we took we took Calvin Williams at his word. The Justice Center wasn't briefed. But as he said, all this evidence has emerged that, you know, that it was in his daily brief back in February that the administration knew about it going back to last year, et cetera, you know more and more keeps coming out about this, that the transfers of money and so forth. So I've that, thought throughout the Trump administration with people like Portman who have stood by him through all of this, what happens when this ends? I mean, it, it's going to end. It, it's, I mean, we have a president that has told no end of falsehoods and who has shown almost no leadership with regard to the coronavirus. I mean, it's things are cascading for this administration. So so five years from now, for people like Rob Portman, who stood blindly by the side of somebody that history could have a legacy as a monster, what happens? You can't walk it back. You can't you can't say five years from now, oh, that was a mistake. So to Rob Portman and all the others who stood idly by during all of these horrible things, do they do they ultimately have legacies that are that are tarnished beyond repair? I don't know. People people have short memories, unfortunately. I mean, when you think back to who even is talking about like what happened during impeachment? I mean, I mean it's just this 
fast and furious news cycle and, and people just move on and they, they forget these things. And this is Chris Wernowski. I, I think like this sounds weird, you know, given how critical I am of the president and, and people like Portman who really don't show any backbone or leadership when it comes to pushing back. I, I understand why they do that because it's, and even like the governor during the coronavirus thing, it's, you don't want to upset this toddler that, you know, like, <laughs> like you have to work with him. Like there's the, you know, when, when people are critical of like Tim Cook from Apple for meeting with the president, he's still the president. Like he may not be an ideal president, but you have to work with him. And he's, he's going to be making these decisions, whether they're good, bad or whatever. And, and the best that you can do is you can try to go there and nudge him toward the right thing to do. And so, you know, I, I think Portman, you know, may tiptoe around being critical for the sake of trying to do what he thinks is best for the state, for the federal government, because he doesn't see that there's anything productive. But you have to understand that, you know, there is no bottom here. Like, we've- Or maybe, Chris, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe history uh, does not look back and and show this was maybe the worst presidency in history maybe maybe people look at the economy five years from now because it could be in tatters then and say you know he was a he, he was a president that kept the economy going and so the people who supported him were in support of of wealth building for the nation it's just there, there have been times like this where you would hope the u.s senator would say Look, we got to get to the bottom of whether the president knew about this or not, because if he knew about it and didn't do anything, that's a problem. Instead of saying, I take him at his word, because because this is a president who has been proven repeatedly thousands of times to lie. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. On the eve of the July 4th holiday, how sky high are the sales of fireworks in Northeast Ohio? We've had stories about how we've had more fireworks complaints than ever before. Chris Ranowski, we did some checking to see how sales are at the fireworks places, even though you're not supposed to shoot them off in Ohio. The law still prohibits that. What did we find out? They're pretty high. And, you know, we found out it might not also, it's not a CIA psyops thing that we're dealing with here. If as, as the, the popular conspiracy theory has, uh, has, has spread across the internet. What? I yeah. Haven't heard, you haven't heard about the, there's a conspiracy theory that all of the fireworks that you're hearing are, are being planted by government people to get police to respond to communities like it's giving us like it's so like I had friends who were like you think this is and I'm like no I'm like let's let's do the Occam's razor here thing and let's let's say that like people might be bored wow and, and have a you know time right. and money to spend so I hadn't heard that so what are the oh, sales are they way up this, they're they're way up they're way up um we spoke with the is it American Fireworks Company which is uh the one in Hudson yeah yeah Ohio based Hudson and the owner John Sor- Sorgi I believe is how it's pronounced he. He claims that the sales are up 30 to 40% on the consumer end. So a lot of people are buying more fireworks this year. And as as I sort of suspected, he did say that that the city-sponsored fireworks shows are way down. He said they, on average, they outfit about 150 shows. And this year, he said they might be lucky to do 20 or 30 because... So many of those have been canceled due to the restrictions on large gatherings. Uh, I'm surprised we're having any. I just that's going to get people in close quarters and 
Oh, well, I'm a little bit I think surprised. The, the, there's somewhere you can sit in your car or, you know, if, if you can right. do that, fine. But, you know, what's interesting is that like two of these big companies are based right here in the United States or, or right, in, right here in Ohio. So, you know, there's there's not a lot of there aren't a lot of American based manufacturers of, of fireworks. And they're based uh, in Ohio. Even then, you can't buy you them. Can't in Ohio. <laughs> so um, but I do think, though, we're going to have to be on alert all weekend with all these extra fireworks fireworks out there for fireworks accidents. I mean, there's mm-hmm. always some, but, and you probably have people that are not used to doing it that may mm-hmm. not take safety precautions. It could be a long weekend for firefighters, paramedics, and hospital emergency rooms. Well, it's weird. None of the, none of the communities that we talk to are extra staffing their fire departments or anything like that. Now in, in the suburbs, they, they told us that, you know, they have mutual aid agreements with neighboring fire departments. So, you know, if, you know, something, you know, something bad does happen in, in like Rocky river, like liquid firefighters and, and neighboring communities will come over and help out. So they don't have to pay a, you know, a bunch of people to be on staff and nothing happens. So it'll probably begin in earnest Friday night because Friday's the holiday and then continue on the actual day on Saturday, July 4th. So we could have two nights, of pretty well, given, fireworks complaints and dogs being miserable everywhere. Given as much as I have been hearing, I figured people would be fireworked out by now, <laughs> but honestly, I, I think it's, you're going to hear a lot. And uh, I've never been more thankful that my dog is losing his hearing because he's, he's just <laughs> sleeping through all of it. So yeah, it's uh, tough for people with dogs. You're yeah. listening this week in the CLE. All right. A little short podcast to wrap up the holiday week. Chris and Jane, thanks for for the discussion as always, and I hope you have a good weekend. Thanks to everybody for listening. This week in the CLE will return on Monday. 